0: Have you ever gone to the movies, uh, come to the end of it, see the credits begin to roll down the screen, and and so you leave the cinema, and the next day you're talking about the movie that you've watched, and you talk about it with a friend, and you're reliving some of the scenes, and your friend said, did you like the extra scene right at the end? And you try and think, what what extra scene was there? You saw the credits... But your friend says, no, 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 the extra scene right at the end of the credits. And it turns out there's this extra bit right at the end of everything, maybe one last gag or a teaser for the sequel to the next movie or the last piece of the puzzle that ties up all the loose ends of the movie, but you missed it because you left early. The book of Exodus that we're working our way through here in our church meetings, it sometimes suffers from the same sort of treatment. Because lots of people can tell you about all the plagues and the giving of the Ten Commandments, but what comes next, it's a bit unknown, even though there's still half the book to come. To stop at the Ten Commandments, we're not just missing the final extra scene at the end, it's like walking out of a movie halfway through. Now, it is kind of understandable. I mean, if, if you read the chapters that we're looking at this morning during the week, and if you've been coming along to early church, I certainly hope you did, You might have thought it all a bit tedious, because what we have in all these chapters is about how to build a tent called the tabernacle, and what to make it out of, what altars and basins to put inside it, how to make a lampstand, what the priest had to wear, perhaps you even fell asleep while you were reading. I mean, it's not exactly the parting of seas and the mountain trembling on fire, is it? But all this stuff about the tabernacle and all its furnishings, it gets a lot of airtime in the book of Exodus. It's here in chapters 25 to 31 that we're going to be looking at this morning. And then it's all pretty much repeated in chapters 35 through to 40. All in all, it takes up almost a third of the book. It is clearly very important. And as we take a closer look, we begin to see that what's going on in these chapters is momentous. That far from being tedious... These chapters are glorious because here, Yahweh makes himself known as holy. He makes it clear that it's dangerous for him to be near sinners, and yet he does make it possible for sinful people to be close to him. What we're going to read will help us to feel the terrible weight of our own sin and also the precious relief that Christ brings As he brings us close to God. So let's have a look. Uh, Last week we saw Yahweh uh, beginning to give his laws to Israel. And at the end of chapter 24, the people of Israel, they remain at the bottom of Mount Sinai. While Moses goes up the mountain again to receive more instructions from God. And it's all these instructions about how to build the tabernacle. But before we get caught up in the details, it is helpful to see the big picture of it all. The goal of the tabernacle. And it was simply this, the tabernacle was to be the place where God would live among his people. Have a look at it with me, chapter 25 and verse 8. Just the last couple of verses that Glenn read for us. Uh, In the first seven verses, uh, Yahweh tells Moses all the different sorts of materials that they'll need in order to build the tabernacle. But then in verse 8, he says why they're going to build it. The goal of it all, verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. The sanctuary that they were to build for Yahweh, this tabernacle, was so that Yahweh would dwell among the Israelites. Now the last time God dwelt among his people was way back in Genesis 2 in the Garden of Eden. And there we have humanity and God in close quarters. God is described even as walking in the garden with his people in the cool of the day. It is wonderfully intimate, but it was all tragically lost with the fall and sin. Humanity was removed from God's presence. But here with the tabernacle... God is again going to dwell among his people. It's in some measure a return to what was meant to be. The tabernacle is a step back to the garden. But as we'll see, it comes with a difference. Because sin has changed things. God dwelling among his people isn't as easy as walking in the cool of the day anymore. Just like oil and water don't mix... The holy God and sin don't mix. Which brings us to the tabernacle itself. Because the tabernacle was how God was going to make it possible for him to be among sinners. And everything about the tabernacle was a vivid lesson in the holiness of God and the seriousness of sin. And so the extreme difficulty it is for God to be near sinful people. Now as we turn to the details, you might find it helpful to have a picture of the whole thing to help you see how each part fits into it so up on the screen is going to come up on a floor plan of the tabernacle and I'll refer to it along the way so you'll see in the tabernacle it basically consisted of three areas Uh, the innermost area was called the most holy place and that's where God's presence actually was then outside the most holy place you've got the holy place and then outside it was the outer court so basically, the further you got in, the closer you got to God. Now, what we have in chapters 25 to 27 in Exodus is instructions on how to make it all. Basically, starting with the most holy things in chapter 25 and moving towards the less holy things in chapters 26 and 27. So from verse 10 of chapter 25, if you look at it there in your Bible, and might even have a heading, you get instructions for the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the Ark was a dirty, great big chest that was to contain the actual stone tablets with the Ten Commandments written on them. And it was to be in the most holy place, and the presence of God was to be over it. So everything about the ark said holiness, specialness, preciousness. Have a look at it with me from verse 11, talking about the ark. Overlay it, that's the ark, overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Now down to verse 17. We're going to be told how to make the lid for it. Verse 17. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. You see, it's just gold, gold, and more gold. The actual Ten Commandments were to be in here. This was going to be where the very presence of God was. This this was the most holy place. But before getting into the most holy place, you had to go through the holy place. And from verse 23, Moses is given instructions about what was to go into it. So you'll see instructions for the table of, uh, for the bread of God's presence where people would eat with God. This table was to be overlaid with pure gold. And then there was also a lampstand to go into the holy place. It too was to be made out of pure gold. Now, the most holy place and the holy place, they were sectioned off with elaborate, rich curtains, and that's chapter 26. But in order to get into the holy place, you first had to come through the outer courtyard. And in the outer courtyard, uh, up on the picture, you can see an altar. And the instructions for it are in chapter 27. So have a look at me there, verse 1. And notice the difference in material now that we've come out of the holy places. So chapter 27, verse 1. Build an altar of acacia wood, three cubits high. It is to be square, five cubits long and five cubits wide. Make a horn at each of the four corners. So that the horns and the altar are of one piece and overlay the altar with bronze. See, now that we're further away from the presence of God, we're in bronze instead of gold. It's just a simple way of showing the people that the closer you get to God, the more precious, careful and holy everything becomes. So this is the tabernacle where God would dwell with his people. Now, we haven't even got to what... Happens in these holy places or who's even allowed to go in there, but already just even from what it looks like It's a far cry from the Garden of Eden, isn't it? Instead of God walking in the cool of the day for the holy God to dwell among us sinful people There's got to be grades of rooms Barriers in between you and God. There's a level of distance to him It's like wanting to talk to the Prime Minister First, you've got to ring government house see if you can get through to one of the PM secretaries, uh, then to one of the assistants, maybe get palmed off to one of the other ministers in government until eventually you might be allowed to see the PM. There's an inbuilt level of distance to go and see the Prime Minister. And with the tabernacle, there's literally an inbuilt level of distance to go and see God. And it only gets worse, in a sense, When we get to chapters 28 and 29, because now we discover who's actually allowed into these holy places, who can actually get up close and in some sense personal with God. And we discover that it's hardly anyone. There was a very select group of people out of the 12 tribes of Israel. You had to be from a particular tribe and from a particular family in that tribe. And these people were the priests And only they could go into the holy places of the tabernacle. And they went in there on behalf of the rest of the people. If you weren't a priest, you weren't allowed to get close to God. The priest went in on your behalf. We see this even in the clothes that God told Moses that the priest had to wear. So come across to chapter 28 and verse 21. Uh, In these verses, in this chapter, uh, the breast piece, which was part of the garment that the priest had to wear, it's being explained. And this breast piece is to have four rows of three precious gems mounted on it. So why is it to have 12 precious stones on it? Chapter 28, verse 21. There are to be 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the 12 tribes. So the priest would have, if you like, the 12 tribes of Israel over his heart as he did the work in the tabernacle. Come down to verse 29 and we'll see basically the same thing. Verse 29. Uh, whenever Aaron, it says Aaron because he was to be the very first priest, whenever Aaron enters the holy place, He will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. See, an ordinary Israelite, they can't get close to God. They couldn't. The priest went in for them. Now, in our culture, uh, we don't have a lot of places where we don't feel we can go. Uh, In Australia, we're big on us being equal. You know, we can go anywhere. We can talk to whoever we want. No one's better than anyone else, so we struggle to appreciate special places that you're not allowed to go into. Uh, I found one. It's not in the same league as the Tabernacle, but uh, I was in Hyde Park in Sydney the other week, and I walked past the Anzac Memorial. Uh, here's a picture of it on the screen. It's an impressive building uh, to remember war and the soldiers who served us. And in Australia, there's a, there's a level of sacredness about this sort of thing. And so you'll see a sign uh, on the stairs at the front. Here's a close-up of it. Anzac Memorial, please do not sit on stairs. It's an offence under the Anzac Memorial Building Act of 1923. See, there's a sense of holiness about this. This place is sacred. You can't be here. Please do not sit on the stairs. Now, it's this sort of thing multiplied by a thousand that we have in the tabernacle. The tabernacle screams out, this place is sacred, it's holy, you can't be here. Don't come in. A priest has to go in for you. And here's the other thing we're told that the priest did for the people in these chapters. He made sacrifices to Yahweh to make up for the sin of the people. That's what the altar is for in the outer courtyard. And it makes sense, I think, that sacrificing sin for sin would be one of the main duties of the priest in the tabernacle because sin is the whole reason the tabernacle was set up in the first place. Because this is the holy God dwelling with his people, but there are sinful people. That's why there's distance and exclusion from the holy places and it's why sacrifices were made. To show how serious sin is, God said that to make up for sin... That requires death. The constant sacrifices in the tabernacle were a powerful reminder that to have the holy God near you, that's dangerous. Death happens when you come close to God. It is not easy for God to be among sinners. So come across to chapter 29. In chapter 29, Yahweh tells Moses how the priests are to be prepared to start working in the tabernacle. And you've got all these lengthy explanations. And after all the rituals, which would take at least a week, the priests will finally start work. And what's the first thing that the priests are told they'll have to do? Sacrifice two lambs every day from now on. Chapter 29, verse 38. Chapter 29, verse 38. After all the instructions about how to get them ready, once they start Here's the first thing they're told. Chapter 29, verse 38. This is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs a year old. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. Come down to verse 42. Verse 42. For the generations to come. This burnt offering is to be made regularly at the, tent, at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites and the place will be consecrated by my glory. Every single day, from now on, two lambs sacrificed as a burnt offering. Two lambs to die in their place. One in the morning, one at twilight. Each and every day, a continual reminder to the people of their own sin and their need for cleansing before the Holy God. One of the most important things that God is teaching us in these chapters is this we're sinful. We're sinful. Loving God with all of our hearts and souls and strengths and minds. Knowing what God wants us to do in every situation so that we do exactly what our Holy God demands all the time. Not ever giving in to selfishness and laziness. Always having pure motives. Friends, that's not us. We're sinful. Don't compare yourself to prostitutes and murderers to make yourself feel better. Compare yourself to the holy God and fall on your knees. We cannot presume to dare come near God. That is not safe. This whole tabernacle thing with sacred priests and holy places and sacrifices, it's like a security system to keep people safe. When Barack Obama came to Australia a couple of years ago, there was an enormous amount of security. Uh, his bulletproof car was flown into Australia before he even arrived. There were a dozen fa 18 Hornets uh, patrolling the skies. There was increased presence of Australian police officers. There's the President's own security detail. For anyone to come near the President, they had to go through a lot of security. And for anyone to come near the Holy God, they had to go through a lot of security. They had to purify themselves. The priests had to purify themselves. You had to bring the right sacrifices. The priests had to wear the right clothes. You had to do things in the right order. There were places you weren't allowed to go. Now, all the president's security, that was to keep the president safe. But all the security of the tabernacle, that was to keep the people safe. Safe from God. Because Yahweh was going to dwell among his people. But they're sinful. And he's holy, which means he can't be treated casually or flippantly. You can't just rock up to God and pat him on the back. And God doesn't tolerate wickedness or sin. You wouldn't serve up bangers and mash for the queen. You wouldn't dare front up to the holy God with your guilt and sin and shame. The book of Exodus is all about God making himself known. And what God wants us to know from these chapters is that he is holy. And sinners cannot, they cannot easily have God among them. So brothers and sisters, know your God. He's holy. And know yourself. We're sinful. So for us to know God, for you to be called a child of God, for you to be one of his people, for you to call on God as your heavenly father, for, for God to intimately dwell among us by his own spirit, none of it came easy. For us to become the people of God it took nothing less than the blood of his own son. The Lord Jesus, he's our priest. And he's gone to the Father on our behalf, not with a mere lamb for the sacrifice of our sins, because a lamb isn't enough. It had to be the life of the Son of God himself to truly deal with our sin. And so Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the holy one, The eternal son of God, Jesus, took on flesh so that sinners could rip him apart. Look at what it took to bring us to God. It was not easy. The death of Christ on our behalf, for our sins, he has perfectly satisfied God's holiness for us. And so the promise of God is that in Christ, our sins, they truly have been washed away. By the death of Christ, extraordinarily, we have been given total, complete and permanent forgiveness. And so we can now easily speak to God. We do now know him as our heavenly dad. We do now have his spirit among us. We are now personal with God in ways that the Israelites would never have dared dream of, but it didn't come easy. The horror that we should have at our own sin, it should only ever be matched and surpassed by our wonder at Jesus Christ. Because he has taken wretched sinners like us and brought us personally, intimately to the holy God in perfect safety. So let's never forget the Lord Jesus and never take him for granted. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us a genuine appreciation of your holiness and that we would marvel even more profoundly and deeply at your son and his death for us, that he can bring us to you and that we really, truly, genuinely have been completely forgiven of our sin, totally washed clean. It is extraordinary what your Son has done, that we might be your very children. Father, thank you that we do enjoy intimacy with you. We have your Spirit. Father, thank you that we live through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and by his Spirit. Amen.